Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we now come before you through your word, we pray, Lord, for help. Father, your spirit would come, would minister to our souls through what we see and hear in Luke 15. And I pray, Lord, through your word, you would seek out those who are lost, find them, and bring them home. And you would encourage those who are following you. Encourage us, Lord. You are a God who delights in our repentance. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you've uh, never seen the Iowa State Capitol building, you really should. Its most striking feature is its golden dome in the center of the building, and the Capitol building sits on this hill looking over downtown Des Moines to the west, and on clear, sunny days, that golden dome just shines brightly over that city. It's, it's pretty impressive to see. And I remember visiting uh, the Capitol building as a tourist when I was a child, uh, maybe eight years old. Um, but, you know, you don't really get to see much of the building. They just kind of, you know, lead you through the designated areas um, that are set aside for tourists in the building. And as I grew up, every time we made a trip to uh, Des Moines, I would always take a look at that state capitol building. But, you know, since my family had already been there once, you know, we never stopped there again. So my perspective on the building was almost always from the outside, from, from a ways away. As I graduated college, I moved down and settled in Des Moines to serve a church, uh, but I wasn't the only graduate of my college to uh, find work in Des Moines. Uh, within uh, two years, there were actually uh, several friends and acquaintances of mine from, from college who, who had gotten work in the city. Um, and one of them was my friend uh, Vince Kurtz, whom throughout college we playfully referred to as Trooper Kurtz. Uh, his goal in college was to serve the Iowa State Patrol. And one of the primary entry-level positions for the Iowa State Patrol is working security at the Iowa State Capitol building. So that's exactly where my friend Vince began his career. And one night I was hanging out with some of my old college friends and one of them mentioned that, you know, Vince, Vince could get us into the State Capitol building and, and give us kind of a behind-the-scenes tour of the building at night. And I said, I'm in. I'm in. So a few nights later, we made our way to the State Capitol building well after dark. We met up with Vince and he let us in to the building. He showed us the Senate floor. He showed us the, the floor for the State House of Representatives. But the absolute highlight was when he led us up, 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 inside what seemed to be the secret spiral staircase that hugs the wall all the way to the very top of the Capitol Dome. Then once you get to the very top, there is this very narrow staircase that leads from from the side wall where the staircase is, it, this narrow staircase leads all the way to the center top of the, uh, of the Capitol Dome. It's definitely one of those staircases where you, you grab hold of both handrails as you're making your way uh, up in the dark. 
Uh, once you get to the very top of the Capitol Dome, there's a small walkway uh, outside of the Capitol, and you, so you go through this little door, and, you, and there, there you are. You're outside on top of the Capitol Dome of the State Capitol Building of Iowa, and you're able to, to look out and see over the city of Des Moines, looking at that city from the top of the most famous building in the state. I'll never forget how that golden dome just glowed, illuminated by the lights from the ground as well as from the top of that building. It was an amazing scene. Before that night, I had, I had only really seen the State Capitol building from the outside. But, but now, whenever I see that golden dome, I know exactly what it is like from the inside. And only because I had a relationship with someone from the inside who was able to reveal to me what it's really like. So that's similar to what we find here in Luke 15 this morning. Of all the people who were present here at the beginning of Luke 15, there's only one who had been to heaven. There's only one here who could say what heaven is really like. That is the one, of course, who came down from heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if we want to know what it is like in heaven, he is the only one who can reveal that to us. And he does here in this passage. He gives us an inside view to what it is really like in heaven. He is one from the inside, and he provides us here with this heavenly perspective. And what he reveals here is something that ought to be tremendously encouraging for us. As one pastor put it, this chapter, this Luke, Luke 15, this chapter is filled with good news. The good news that God delights in saving sinners. So that's our main theme for these first 10 verses, that God delights in saving lost sinners like you and, and me. Uh, Luke 15 here is probably one of the most well-known and well-loved chapters in all of the Gospel of Luke, and I've been looking forward to finally getting here with all of you. Um, J.C. Ryle, uh, the man that we focused on last week, said of Luke 15, few chapters perhaps have done more good to the souls of men than this one. One of the reasons these words have, have done so much good for the souls of men is the Lord Jesus reveals for us exactly what the perspective of heaven is on lost sinners, which is what we all are at one time or another, and, and how God delights to save his people who are lost. But Jesus says what he says in this chapter as a response to the Pharisees and scribes in verses 1 and 2. So let's take a look here at the context of what he teaches here, verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15. Heading up and over this is the self-righteous look down on the lost while Jesus looks for them. Self-righteous look down on the lost while Jesus looks for them. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, hear Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Luke describes for us the type of crowd that Jesus uh, was attracting here. Amazingly, it was attracting, he, was, he was attracting the kind of people who were the very opposite of who the religious leaders of the day would have expected 
the Messiah to attract. He was attracting tax collectors and sinners. Those who would not have been welcomed in any of the Bible studies or worship services of those who really took their faith seriously. Luke lists out two different groups of people who were there with Jesus. They are very different, these two groups, in that they would not have associated with each other at all, and yet here they are together because of the attention that Jesus was attracting. We hear of uh, one group, the Pharisees and scribes, and our gut reaction there is to think, oh, oh, those are the bad guys, right? You know, those are the bad guys who oppose Jesus. Those are the hypocrites. When we, when we ever hear of Pharisees in the Gospels, we, we know right away these are the bad guys. We don't want to be like them. Uh, but you must understand that in those days, Pharisees and scribes were highly respected. They were the serious ones about their faith. They were the conservative Bible believers, One scholar, to make the point, uh, will often translate the Pharisees as the pastors and the scribes as the Bible study leaders. So here it is, it's it's the pastors and the Bible study leaders who are grumbling and murmuring about Jesus. And Luke chooses a word to describe what what these scribes and Pharisees were doing here that is very familiar to anyone uh, who knows the story of, uh, of the Exodus. It is one of those words in both the original Greek and the English translation that is appropriately descriptive. You can just tell by the sound of the word what it is describing, murmuring, grumbling. The Greek word is diagoguzo, diagoguzo. That's the sound of what it it was like when we are complaining, right? And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, This word is found many times in the books of Exodus, Numbers, and Joshua describing the unfaithfulness and the unbelief of God's redeemed people who are in the wilderness grumbling, murmuring, complaining about Moses' leadership or murmuring that God has led them out into the wilderness to starve them to death. They murmur, if only we could be back in Egypt enjoying our leeks and onions rather than, of course, being rescued by God. So Luke is trying to make a point here. Trying to make a point by using this word. He's showing us how God's people were often so hard-hearted and proud that they completely missed it when God was in the midst of doing an amazing work of redemption. While God is is at work, while God is rescuing them, while God is redeeming them, while he's doing the work, while he's there, they completely miss it, murmuring about how he's doing it. Luke is saying that's what God's doing here with Jesus. He is in the midst of of his people, and yet some are completely missing what he's doing because they're too busy murmuring. And Luke doesn't just tell us They were grumbling. He also tells us what they were saying as they grumbled. In verse 2, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus wasn't just teaching the despised tax collectors and sinners. That that can be understood, right? If he's teaching and, and, well, within the crowd, there's, there's some tax collectors and sinners. That can be understood. You know, Jesus can be excused 
if that's all that was going on. But he wasn't just sharing a few words with them on the streets and calling them to repent. Jesus was receiving sinners and eating with them. In that day and culture, to share a table with someone else was serious business, especially if it was your table, if you were the host. It meant that you were welcoming them into your community, into your family, into your life. These Pharisees and scribes are showing themselves to be self-righteous here. And therefore, because they're self-righteous, they, they had no need for Jesus. They had no need for him and the redemption that he had come to bring. And they're showing that by how they're responding to those tax collectors and sinners. They didn't have heaven's perspective. They lacked it. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness who murmured about God's gracious work of redemption then, if these men continue to murmur about how God is saving his people, they will also miss out on entering the promised land of the eternal kingdom. Their self-righteousness will blind them to their own need for Christ's redemption. They will be blinded to their own lost condition. So our second uh, point here is that who are the lost whom God seeks to find? Who are the lost whom God seeks to find? As we look at this, uh, these uh, stories here, verses 1 through 10, uh, the Lord Jesus then responds, of course, to the grumbling of the scribes and Pharisees or the grumbling of the pastors and Bible study leaders by, by sharing this parable, as it says there in verse 3. So he told them this parable. And the parable, the word for parable there is singular. It's singular. It is a parable. Uh, we are to notice that the parable is directed to the murmurers. It's directed towards the scribes and Pharisees, although the tax letters and sinners were also there overhearing what Jesus is teaching. So the parable is made up of, of three different stories that are all teaching the same lesson. They all begin with something or someone that's lost, and they all end with a party. And yet, there are some slight differences here, with the first two stories being quite brief compared to the third story being uh, three times as long as the first two put together. Uh, the final story has, has three different characters, and it's more of a well-known story than the first two uh, are here in Luke 15. So Luke wants us to remember, as we study these next few weeks in Luke 15, that Jesus was directing these stories towards those self-righteous murmurers. He's talking to them. The message of the parable is primarily for them and for each of us who also have a tendency to be self-righteous. So the first story in verses 3 through 7 there is a lost sheep, one lost sheep. In the next story, in verses 8 through 10, there is a lost coin, uh, a drachma, would have been um, about, a, about a day's wage, would have been uh, the value of this coin. So it's not just a penny, uh, but just one lost coin. And Jesus tells the story of the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go and find the one sheep that's lost, and the woman who sets aside her nine silver coins and turns her home upside down in order to diligently search for and find that one coin that was lost. And Jesus is explaining his mission here to the scribes and Pharisees. He has come to seek and save the lost. In fact, 
That's exactly what he will say later in the Gospel of Luke when more scribes and Pharisees grumble that he's gone to eat in the home of a notorious tax collector, a man named Zacchaeus. And there at the end of that uh, story, uh, in Luke 19, verse 10, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So the lost in these parables are sinners. The lost are the ones who lie, cheat, and steal to get their way, as would have been uh, characterized by the tax collectors. There are people who are, are obvious sinners, those who openly disregard God's law. You know, unfaithful husbands, prostitutes, those who are known for, for getting drunk on the weekends, those who have a criminal record. But we also know that, that the New Testament doesn't just give this label of sinners to people who are characterized by their blatant disregard for God's law. The Bible actually says that, that we are all sinners. We're all sinners. That, that no one is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So for Jesus' parable, the lost are also those whose sin is not so obvious. It would include people who, who are lazy. People who lose their temper and say hurtful words. Parents who have yelled at their children when they were tired and impatient. People who talk behind uh, talk about others behind their backs. Those who pay no attention to speed limit signs. People who have, lasted, who have lusted in their heart for someone who wasn't their spouse. People who have ever chosen to satisfy their own desires rather than considering the needs of others ahead of their own. People who are self-righteous and look down on others. People like you and me. People like you and me who have all acted out our unbelief in these ways. Thinking that we actually know better than God. Thinking that, that, that we have done what we wanted to do rather than obey his word. You know, sinners are those who deserve to be condemned for their sins against God. Who have no excuse but in this passage, Jesus shares with us what heaven's perspective is on sinners. From Jesus' perspective, sinners are those who are lost. Sinners are those who are lost and alienated from God the Father and who need to be rescued. That's heaven's perspective on, on sinners. In the first story, Again, it's a lost sheep. And when sheep are separated from the flock, they lose all of their protection. Uh, this lost sheep would have been in grave danger from predators or from stumbling down a cliff. Uh, we read here that it, it is in no condition to get itself back to the flock. It can't, it can't find the flock. It, it, it will not be able to even walk back to the flock. Therefore, the shepherd actually had to pick up the sheep and lay it on his shoulders and carry it all the way home. The sheep would have been lost forever if not for the committed love and mercy of the shepherd. The lost are those who are totally dependent 
upon the good shepherd, finding us and carrying us home. In, in the second story, the lost coin, of course, could do nothing on its own to be found. The coin, you know, couldn't move. Uh, the coin couldn't yell out, hey, hey, I'm down here under the seat cushions. Come on. No, no, no. Like the sheep, the lost coin was also completely dependent upon the woman to, to, to search out diligently in order to find it. And Jesus is teaching us those who are lost, those who are uh, lost are in grave danger and they can't do anything to help themselves. They are completely dependent upon the shepherd coming to find them, coming to rescue them. Their only hope is if the one who is able to save them will have mercy on them. Will have mercy on them and be willing to do the difficult work necessary to find and save them. And Jesus is saying here, that's exactly who God is. That's who he is. So who is the God who causes the self-righteous to grumble? That's our next question that we're looking at here. Who is the God who causes the self-righteous to grumble? Now I need to clarify uh, what I mean by that question. I do not mean that God was making these Pharisees and scribes grumble, that God was causing them to sin in this way. No, no, the heading uh, would have been better if I would have, if I would have said, who is the God whose mercy causes the, the self-righteous to grumble. For that's really the reason why these religious leaders here were grumbling. It was a response to God's mercy towards tax collectors and sinners. Just like Jonah. Jonah who grumbled at God that God had mercy on the people of Nineveh who repented. You know, for Jonah, God's mercy was maddening. He believed Nineveh deserved God's wrathful judgment and he was hoping to watch them get what they deserved. But God showed mercy upon Nineveh. Just like God had showed Jonah mercy when he saved him from a watery grave after Jonah had rejected God. So Jesus was trying to, to show these, these pastors and Bible study leaders here that they all deserved God's condemnation for their sin and rebellion, that their only hope was God's mercy, and God had sent his son to seek and to save the lost. And this is not something to grumble about. It's actually something to rejoice over. And I'm also saying, with, with, with my heading here, that Jesus is teaching that the shepherd and the woman in his two stories represent God. It is God who is the one who seeks and saves the lost. That point will be made even clearer in the last story about the father and the two sons. That point will be made, um, sorry, um, uh, the Bible here uh, shows us that it is God who is always the one who is showing mercy to his lost sinners, his lost people, and going and seeking and saving them. And again, for this, 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 this first story of, of, of the shepherd, for the Pharisees and scribes, who again are, are people who, who know their Bibles well, or probably better than almost anyone else in those days, they would have recognized right away what Jesus was claiming with that first story about the man searching for and rescuing his lost sheep. For that was it's clearly a reference back to the prophet Ezekiel and uh, chapter 34, if you want to take a look at that with me, chapter 34 of the prophet Ezekiel. And we'll just read a few verses uh, there from that section. 
that describes God as the shepherd. So Ezekiel 34, verses 11 and 12, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then to verse 15 and 16, that same chapter, Ezekiel 34, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. So notice the similarities between what Jesus describes in Luke 15 to God the shepherd in Ezekiel 34. God says in, in Ezekiel 34, verse 12, I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered. Just like in Luke 15, where the shepherd goes after the one sheep that is lost until he finds it. And then in verse 16 of Ezekiel 34, God says, I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. Again, much like the shepherd of Luke 15 who sought out the lost sheep, carried it home, presumably because it was injured. God himself will seek out the lost. God himself will save them and carry them all the way home. God does it all. The God whose mercy led the Pharisees and scribes to grumble is the God who seeks and saves the lost sinners, heals them, restores them, and brings them all the way home. Our salvation is, is not some combination of some of our work and some of God's work. You know, we, we cannot earn our way back into God's good graces. We can in no way justify ourselves before a holy God, which is what the self-righteous believe they can do. The only thing we can contribute to our salvation from this context is our lostness. It is the God who is the good shepherd who took on flesh and came into the world as the man, Jesus of Nazareth, who then came to seek and save the lost and, and completed all the work of our salvation in his life, in his death, and resurrection from the dead. We are saved when we realize this and trust in him for that salvation. It is God who saves. And as Jesus makes emphatically clear with these stories, it is God's delight. It is his joy to save his lost sheep. Notice here the, the repetition in both stories. Once the sheep has been found, once the coin has been found, the shepherd uh, and then the woman who represent God in these stories, they call together their friends and their neighbors and they say, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep and my coin that was lost. You know, joy really isn't genuine. Joy has to be shared. And we see this genuine joy being shared because they have found what was lost. Now, some of us may think that when we come before God in repentance, 
when we come to him and confess our sins and seek his forgiveness and restoration, that God is up there, you know, shaking his head, you know, in disappointment, rolling his eyes, saying to the angels, here he comes again, here he comes again. Can you believe this guy? What a disappointment. You'd, you'd think by now he'd have learned his lesson. That's often our perspective on sinners and those who seem to not be able to walk the line and, and hit the mark like they ought to. You know, they know better. We know better. But Jesus here gives us this perspective of heaven. He's showing us what's really going on on the inside when that happens. And he says, actually, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. God loves to see sinners repent. God loves to rescue sinners who have lost their way. God delights in it. What he doesn't delight in is a bunch of self-righteous church people who don't think they have any reason to repent and who look down on others who just can't seem to get their act together. God is far more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. Now, how does our perspective of salvation match up with heaven's? That's a question we, we, we need to ask here. We're seeing heaven's perspective, so how does our perspective of salvation match up with heaven's. Well, what is heaven's perspective on who we are in these stories? Who are we? What do these verses represent or, or, or show us about who we are? What does Jesus reveal to us about who we are from his perspective? Well, I think it's that we are lost sheep. We are lost coins. We are sinners who desperately need to be found and rescued by God himself. So do you recognize your desperate need for him? Do you think of yourself as lost without Jesus? I know many of you uh, like to read the Our Daily Bread devotionals. Uh, there was once a great story in, in, in one of those uh, daily breads uh, that David Roper told about a friend of his, a friend of his named Edith. Edith did not think of herself as someone who was lost. She did not much care for Christianity or religion at all, but she was in a time in her life where she definitely wasn't satisfied, discontent. And something told her that, you know, there, there, there had to be more to life than, than what she was experiencing. And so one Sunday morning, she decides to, to just go to the nearest church to her apartment building. You know, why not? What could it hurt? Just to check out what they have to say there. And she walks in, and uh, the sermon text for that Sunday morning was Luke 15, verses 1 and 2 which uh, in that particular church, the pastor was reading that that morning out of the King James Version. Some of you might, might have the King James Version in front of you. And here's what it says for Luke 15, 1 and 2. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth 
with them. That's what was read, but of course, here's what Edith heard. This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Well, she sat up straight in the pew. Of course, eventually, she figured out her mistake. But the thought that Jesus welcomes sinners, and she realized that that definitely included Edith, that realization stayed with her. And that afternoon was the beginning of her recognizing her need to be found by Jesus. So you see, what the Pharisees and scribes were murmuring is actually incredibly good news, isn't it? Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. Do we see ourselves as sinners in need of forgiveness? God is a God who receives those who deserve nothing but condemnation, and he draws them in to be in fellowship with him forever through his son Jesus. God is one who has come in the person of Jesus Christ in order to seek and save and welcome sinners into his household, and he loves to do this. He delights in it. He rejoices when sinners repent and humble themselves before him. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So do we rejoice over the things that heaven rejoices over? What do we rejoice over? Do, do we look down on the lost or, or do we look for them like God does, knowing that they need, need to be rescued by him? Uh, are we condemning those whom God is calling? The God that is revealed to us in the scriptures is a God who has come to save sinners in Jesus Christ. May we both recognize that we are the very ones whom he came to save, no matter our sin, no matter how lost we think we are, or may we rejoice, or and may we, may we rejoice every time we see him be gracious and merciful to other lost sinners, no matter who they are.